Hello and welcome to Positive Vibes from the Valley. I'm your host, Ryan, and I work for the Northwestern Prevention Collaborative as the Community Liaison and Training Coordinator. So this podcast focuses on SAMHSA's eight dimensions of wellness, the emotional, spiritual, intellectual, physical, environmental, financial, occupational, and social dimensions. So today we are going to be talking about the emotional dimension of wellness and bringing uh, everyone up to speed on that is Miss Krista Shiflett. So hello, Krista. How are you doing today? Great. How are you? Thanks for having me, Ryan. Good. Hey, thanks for being here. We're, I'm really excited. Um, this is definitely a unique opportunity for me. Uh, and I think a unique opportunity for everyone listening and tuning in to, to hopefully get some great information out of this. Um, just a little bit. So Krista actually completed her uh, degree there at the College of William and Mary. Uh, that's where she earned her bachelor's degree in government and economics, and then also earning a master's degree in education from JMU. Uh, she's been a coalition executive director for 21 years. Chris, I don't want to take uh, the words out of your mouth. I'd like for you to tell a little bit more about yourself, a little bit more about your background and some of the different certifications and trainings and some of the experience you have over the years. So um, as a coalition leader, I have a lot of training around building and creating plans to try to change outcomes for people who struggle with substance misuse or try to prevent substance misuse. I am a certified trauma-informed and trauma-supportive trainer, so I train other people to be certified in that. I'm also um, ACES Interface trainer for the state of Virginia, so teaching people about adverse childhood experiences and the long-term impact on that. I am a certified trainer for the court system for anger and anxiety management, and I'm also a certified getting relationships right trainer. Um, like you said, I've been in this job for 21 years. I do quite a bit of training on the state national and even now international level, um, having spoken at the National Leadership Conference for Communities Against um, Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America in 2018-2019, and I will be speaking again at the National Leadership Forum in 2022, as well as the mid-year conference for them in 2020. I've spoken at the Northwestern Prevention um, conference and also the youth prevention conference that takes place in South Carolina. So I'm very excited to be here. Um, in my work, I have worked with children. Um, I did that for a long time. Primarily my work right now is with adult populations. I work at RSW Regional Jail, have for the last six years providing support to the people there. Um, and it is one of the greatest honors and pleasures of my life to be able to help people grow and, and become the best version of themselves. That's really cool. Well, it sounds like, Krista, from hearing all that, you have a little bit of experience in this arena. That's kind of what I'm hearing. Uh, a Just a little. <laughs> well, with all that experience and all that expertise, I know I'm definitely excited to have you here to talk a little bit about emotional wellness. Um, now, the first thing that I like to do, and I'm sure for our listeners who tuned in to the first season, they probably already heard the textbook definition. I like to give the textbook definition just because I think it gives us a nice framework. Um, but then obviously we're going to talk to you a little bit more about what you think about that definition. Um, so the textbook definition of emotional wellness basically involves the ability to express feelings, adjust to emotional challenges, cope with life stressors and enjoy life. It includes knowing our strengths as well as what we want to get better at 
and living and working on our own, but letting others help us from time to time. So that one's not as much of a mouthful as some of the other dimensions to get out there. But I guess my first question for you, Krista, because you you described a lot of different jobs and different roles you have within the community and different jobs and roles that you've held within the community over the years. Um, I guess I'd like to know, so how, how does emotional wellness tie into those roles? Well, I think it has a lot of, a lot of different implications. So I'm, I'm the director of the coalition. I have a number of employees and some of that is trying to understand how each employee operates and, and sees the world through their perspective and trying to listen to that and, and understanding their strengths and areas where they need support to help them be most successful. Um, just broadly and not even necessarily with just employees, but trying to step back and remove yourself from a lens of judgment. We all have, we all judge, we all have implicit biases, but part of getting to your a higher emotional IQ is recognizing those biases, recognizing when you might be in that bias and trying to step back from that. I always tell people it's not for me to judge or say, I haven't lived your life until I ask you, I don't understand why you do what you do. And um, so how can I judge or say, and I'm sure what you do makes sense to you and may well be tied to past survival strategies from maybe past traumas that happened to you as a child or when you were, you know, maybe even young adult. And um, so you're doing the best you can with what you have in that moment. And emotional wellness is, as you said, Ryan, all about growing um, and trying to be the best version of yourself and, and attending to the, um, ask yourself the question, why do I do what I do? What, why do I have those behaviors? And how is that helping or hurting me? That's really interesting. It, it's interesting, I guess, hearing your take initially there about how uh, emotional wellness plays into your role as a leader, right? Knowing how to deal with your employees. Uh, you know, so not even speaking of the professional implications, right, with with all of your trauma uh, certifications, just more or less, hey, this is how I operate within this role of being a leader. Something I think, you know, the, the supervisor down at the at the grocery store can relate to, to to the CEO of the bank. And I think we can see there just how important emotional wellness is and how it's basically interwoven into everything that we do. Um, oh, yeah. They maintain that emotional IQ is more important to your overall um, ability to succeed, succeed and get ahead in life than your actual intellectual IQ, that it's really the emotional IQ that it determines how successful you're going to be. Well, and, and speaking a little bit now from roles to kind of professional experience there, um, I guess my question for you is how ha does emotional wellness play into some of the jobs you've had before with the youth? And then how has that translated to adults and just residents of the community kind of at large there? Well, so with youth, um, you said in the introduction, I have a master's in education. and My master's is actually in early childhood education. So from birth to about 10 years of age and really understanding development and brain development and what are kids really capable of doing or not doing. I think sometimes frustration with parents is that they assign adult characteristics to a child whose brain hasn't developed that far yet and they're demanding things of that child that the child would probably desperately like to please you and accomplish those things 
but cannot because developmentally their brain just isn't there. And um, so I think that's really important for parents to understand. And when I taught school years ago, um, they had developed the SOL criteria and we were supposed to be teaching elapsed time to children who were nine and 10 years old. And I had written um, one of my master's papers around brain development for that particular area. And it just was not possible that the vast majority of children's brains weren't even in a place to be able to learn that concept. And yet we were required and the kids were required to be tested on that. And how frustrating is that for not only the children, but for the teacher where I'm trying to teach you something that some of you may have matured a little faster, but the vast majority are never are, are never going to understand this. And they're going to feel like failures. And so is the teacher because they can't make this happen. So that's sort of a, a small example of how that can be frustrating for everyone, taking that into account. Now, translating that to adults, when you're a child, particularly if you've had really traumatic experiences, you often get stuck emotionally at whatever age that trauma happened to you. So while I may be looking at someone sitting in front of me who's a 28-year-old male, he's really stuck as a 12-year-old male emotionally. So figuring that out when you're working with people, where are you um, able to connect? What's the appropriate age range? And a lot of that takes emotional intelligence. It's also really helpful to understand what your developmental capacities are with emotions as people grow up, because that, I think, alleviates some of that judging. You're like, oh, well, you know, he might be 25, but I really got it. This, this person's 12. So it's hard to be frustrated that they don't understand me saying, why you're doing X, Y, and Z, um, because they can't do X, Y, and Z. Um, that sort of changes the field a little differently. Well, and actually you, you kind of started to speak there to another question, kind of the next question I had for you, because kind of thinking about emotional wellness, I feel like unlike some of its counterparts, emotional wellness does get a fairly large spotlight shown on it, right? We're talking about it a lot. Um, we try to regulate that balance, but in the midst of that noise, I think there can be that, Hey, yeah, we know it's important and we move on to the next, but kind of thinking about the community and some of the people there you, you were mentioning, right? Like, so teachers and maybe even police and even like on the policy level, local government, why should we care about emotional wellness? Why should we seek to understand aces and those childhood experiences and how they shape people. It's kind of, I mean, Hey, how, how do we basically explain that to people why this should be important to their everyday lives? Okay. So for those of you who hate numbers, I'm going to apologize off the bat because I'm going to start with some statistics here to sort of make my point. Um, so the coalition, the Warren coalition has been around since 1994 um, and they are substance misuse prevention agency for kids primarily in the beginning, and that's how we operate it. Um, as more research has come in, we've learned that it's so important that we also address the parents, that kids don't grow up in um, isolation. You have to help the parents who are raising them. And I think one of the most pivotal things that happened for me in my career was when I took the ACEs interface training with Rob Anda, who was one of the original uh, doctors who did the ACEs study. And he was showing what he called the oil slick slide, which was relating outcomes across the population to adverse childhood experiences, things like abuse, neglect, 
parental abandonment, um, mental health issues in your home, some of that substance misuse issues. And the one that struck me so much because the coalition had been working on it so hard was the opiate um, use epidemic. And the slide, the figure said 78% of IV drug use is linked directly to adverse childhood experiences. And yeah. when I reflected on that, I'm like, okay, we have this all wrong. What we need to do is build resilience in our children and in our young adults, give them healthy coping strategies because people are turning to substance misuse or other unhealthy choices as a way to cope with their pain and try to help support them and feel cared for, create a sense of belonging and a sense of safety, which are known elements to help reduce substance misuse. And the coalition really pivoted on our approaches to how we're doing this. Not that drug education isn't important because of course it is, but building that resilience and that feeling that somebody cares about me, that I matter um, is really pivotal in that. And all of us have a role in community of being able to do that, which we'll tie back to, hopefully we'll circle back to the campaign we're working on now called We See You Before We End This Podcast. Absolutely. And I, I do think it's really interesting too. speaking on, you know, emotional wellness, seeing it as almost that uh, that source. And I think it's interesting how you talk about pivoting an approach from, you know, preventing almost the example of, hey, there's there's something going into the river upstream and it keeps coming down and, and we keep going in the river. We, we take it out. We take it out. But we never really get to the source of the issue. Yeah. It's a great analogy. And with, with that large statistic that you threw out, you know, you can see just how large that source is for, for that particular issue. Um, so we're, we're saying that it's important. And, and you mentioned the We See You campaign. So it sounds like we're doing some stuff to foster that. How do we foster it more? Um, and as let's start with as individuals first before we delve into that community. Okay, so... Individual is going to tie to community, Ryan. I'm not going to be able to avoid that. But the part of emotional wellness goes back to that question that I asked before. Some of that is really introspection. It's asking yourself, why do I do what I do? Where does that come from? Where does that behavior where you always want to run away come from? Um, when there are loud noises or something like that. Or maybe your response is you get really angry and you get in somebody's face when you're startled. Well, what's that about? What What is it about loud noises that produces that response in you? Whereas somebody else might hear, you know, a loud noise and be just like, oh, well, whatever, it was a noise and, and not go on. So some of that that introspection about why do I feel the way I do and tracing that back to childhood experiences. And, and I've certainly done some of that work with people when we go on the trace back, when they're talking about a particular incident that happened to them an adult, as an adult that's very troublesome to them. Their behavior was very troublesome to them. But as they really analyzed it, they could carry it back to an incident that happened in their childhood where what that was really about was this. And... Um, then they can start to heal. And they, then the more you pay attention, you know, once you know, you can't unknow, the more they pay attention, they see that behavior in other instances. And if they think that it's harmful to them, then they work on how do we change that? Oh, this is going to happen tonight. 
I, I, I feel really uncomfortable when people are really drunk, if I'm around really drunk people, because when I was young, I would get beaten if my, you know, mom was really drunk all the time. So I'm, I'm not comfortable. So especially if you're in a situation where you can't get away from that, what are the strategies ahead of time? Can you work on to prevent that? So maybe you do some deep breathing or maybe you do some journaling or you exercise. I encourage exercise like crazy because the endorphins that are produced are your feel good give you the feel good lift. Um, so to help you. So putting those things in places, journaling, um, some people meditate, some people yoga, people pray, different people have different ways of coping, talking to somebody, whatever those are having multiple strategies and not just one um, to go to, because you might not be in a place where if yoga is your thing that you can suddenly burst into some pose somewhere when something is happening to you. So, you know, more than one strategy put in place. The second part of that, I would say, we'll go to the community part of that. We all have the capacity to lift others up. And um, when we introduced the We See You campaign, which is about acknowledging people, literally that I recognize that you're here, you're alive, you're a person, you have purpose, and value just because you are a person, whether you believe that about yourself or not is a step you have to work on. But that is where we're operating from this, that we all have a purpose and we're humans and we matter. This, this is, so everybody in the community can do that. You know, I, I walk down the street and I acknowledge strangers all the time and say, hey, it's great to see you today or good morning. Or, I hope you have a great day or just that I see you when I was describing this program to a young lady to get the reaction and she um, burst into tears when I was talking to her and she said, um, you may save someone's life with that. It saved mine through her tears. And it's just even was even more of a reason why we needed to do that. Uh, especially now with COVID and the isolation and how many of us have been separated and, as people, we were made to be, we are social, we were made to be together to protect our very lives. And we've been put in a place that takes that away from us. We, I just came back from an addictions conference this past weekend. And sadly, in the last 12 months, 100,000 people lost their lives to an overdose in this state. I mean, in the country, sorry. And the, the part of that is that that's every five minutes in the course of time that I was sitting in one of the presentations, 12 people died from a drug overdose in the United States. Um, it'll get to a place where you won't not know someone who's lost someone to an opiate overdose at that rate easily. And then, I mean, that's the highest number so far, but every year we did have a dip in 2017, 2018, and then it came right back up again. So it's, it's really important that we acknowledge people um, and that belonging is getting to be a huge criteria for people not misusing substances. So kind of, kind of taking off from your, from your answer there about uh, individuals and, and how they work within the community. I really think it's interesting thinking about physical wellness and how people prioritize, uh, you know, exercising in their life, right? Like, Hey, I'm going to make a point to do this, or I'm going to make a point to eat healthy. But how often when with regards to emotional wellness, do you prioritize taking that time out, like you said, to look inward and say, hey, you know, maybe I'm acting this way or I'm feeling this way. 
And why is that? You know, and prioritizing that that self-examination time and then prioritizing what you just said to solve some of those issues. Right. Making that time to meditate, making that time to exercise or, or whatever it is um, that helps you regulate it. Um, and I also really like what you pointed out about every individual kind of working in collectively, you know, to increase the overall, you know, emotional wellness of a community. And I think being seen is such a important part of everyone's experience. You know, we all want to be seen. We all want to be heard. We all want to feel like we're not the outlier. Someone sees me. We, we're all human beings going through this human experience understand me. Um, so I think that's, that's really interesting. And I do have to put you a little bit on the spot here. Um, with all your, with all your experience, all your training, all your knowledge. Okay. What do you do? What does Krista do to balance her own emotional wellness? Well, well, let me, let me say this about that. And I think this is important for everyone. Um, what I didn't say about ACEs was that when they went and did through the study and um, looked at the numbers and the initial study was of middle-class white Americans, basically, who were reasonably well-educated um, and had insurance. They found that 67% of them had at least one ACE. And then of that 87% had two ACEs. When they moved to a more general population, looking across you know, all races and, and different walk, um, socioeconomic classes, that number moves 70, 72% have experienced some form of ACEs. So the, the first thing I would say about all of that is um, I definitely was not immune to that. I uh, have certainly my own fair share of ACEs and um, enough that in some ways it was keeping me from being a whole person and um, was not happy with the way things were in my life uh, and have gone into really what I will tell you is very significant therapy, um, which involves um, EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. But anyway, a very... Um, a very deep form of therapy where it it involves opening you up to past memories and replacing very negative thoughts that you have about yourself that happened as a result of that, that you carry around with you with what you'd like to believe about yourself. Now that's more extreme than some people do with talk therapy. I definitely did that as well, but I knew that if I was really going to face the trauma that had happened to me and try to heal from it, that I was going to have to go deeper and do that work. It is very difficult. It is very painful, but, um, I am a hundred percent worth that investment. And, um, I tell people all the time, you know, I will look them in the face and say, you matter. And I, at times wasn't treating myself like I mattered and not prioritizing myself and putting myself in that place. So therapy definitely plays a role in that. I exercise a lot, um, do try to watch what I eat and um, journal. Definitely deep breathing is a huge part of what I do. Um, breathing is really, really important to breaking up stress in your brain, the cortisol and adrenaline that accumulate there from um, being under stress a lot of the time, and I have a really stressful job, um, and I hear a lot of other people's pain, 
And so making sure that I'm taking the time to breathe, being aware of the fact that my body is stressed, that I can feel pain in my body that is related to emotional pain, not that there's anything physically wrong with me and taking the time to do that. Um, and sometimes just having to step away and say, wow, this, I am really being overwhelmed with it. That that's okay. Um, you matter. I, for a long time, I didn't believe that. I was like, I'm just going to keep pushing through this and it'll be okay. But sooner or later, uh, that comes to call and takes its toll. Um, you will pay the price. So that in personal investment, being honest, um, for a long, long time, i wasn't really present in my body. My body wasn't safe. Um, I would disassociate a lot to just make it through the day. And um, I'm happy to say with the work that I've done that I, I am in the place where I can feel my body. And, you know, you keep yourself from feeling the pain and the sadness and some of the anger. Uh, you also don't feel happy because that isn't how that works. You don't get to feel happy and not feel the bad things. Um, so, that that's really important for people. And I, and I do try to share that being vulnerable um, and willing to share some of that pain and grow. That's how, that's how we grow. Um, but the most important thing I would say to everybody watching is I gave you those statistics. You're not alone. You're not the only person that that's happened to. And sometimes just that relief of knowing that um, makes it easier to face what's happened to you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely agree. And I think, you know, just speaking to how how much courage it takes to be vulnerable and to admit just, you, you know, as well as I do, obviously, there's a huge amount of stigma associated with being, quote unquote, emotional or, you know, feeling your emotions to, to a degree. And Hence why we don't prioritize it, right? Hence why it gets pushed to the back burner. And hence why there's that that buildup that eventually people don't understand. Well, why is there this explosion or implosion going on in my life, my personal life, my professional life, physical, all of it? Because of these dimensions are so intricately connected. And we always talk about that balance. Um, and I feel like obviously with everything we've discussed here, you can see just how pivotal emotional wellness is in every facet of your life and how it interacts with, with every dimension. And I, and I would add that too. Um, you know, I teach these classes in the jail and vulnerable in the jail is a dirty word, but I'm always tell them, you know, you, you're going to have to be vulnerable and honest about what's going on to grow. I will say that as a society and a culture, we make that very difficult for men because we tell them that it's not okay to be sad and boys don't cry. And we tell them it's not okay to be afraid because then you're a sissy. So then the only thing that leaves men with is to be angry because your basic emotions are fear, sad, angry, happy. So you're either angry or you're happy. And there isn't, there's the, your range of emotions is really stunted. And um, I can tell you that I've apologized to the men in the class that they've grown up like that and say, you know, that's, that's not true. And it is okay. Men do have feelings. You are a person and everyone is scared of something. I don't care what you say to me. You, everybody is afraid of something. And, um, and it's okay to be sad. You know, we get our hearts broken. That's part of being human that, that we cry. And um, I have a son 
And uh, I actually apologized to my son and said, you know, if you ever felt like it wasn't okay to be those things, I'm sorry, because you have every right to feel every feeling that you have and you don't need to apologize for that. You were a human. And um, I want you to be able to express and feel all those feelings and so that you can find the joy that goes with life and not be angry all the time because you, it's not okay to be sad or be scared. And that's one of the trickier parts of, of this dimension is that kind of navigating, you know, what am I allowed to allowed to feel? What am I allowed to think? And, you know, so society does have different kind of expectations for different groups and and dictates, you know, it's important in some ways. And, uh, you know, success is more important. So you sometimes you have to put the emotional stuff to the side to, to push forward and there's just so much information and kind of misinformation swirling around out there. Um, you know, that it's nice to take the time to delve into this and again, highlight how important it is in preventing all of the issues that we mentioned before, you know, with that oil slick image, it's easy to see again, how this dimension permeates through our society at basically every level. And I think on the wellness side too, I mean, I cannot tell you how many men, I've sat with who cry and cry and cry and sometimes week after week after week after week of just letting out everything that they've held in for so long and getting to that human part. And then, of course, using really derogative terms to describe themselves when they're feeling it. So there's that guilt around it. And I'm like, it's OK. And I mean, I was raised that way, too. I, I mean, in my era it was boys don't cry. Men don't cry. I, I don't think I ever saw my father cry because that's just not what men did. Um, I can tell you my father was a very, very angry person because he didn't access those feelings. And so the relief that men will talk about afterwards where how much better they feel and the progress that they have made um, to being the best version of themselves is it's uh, it will make me cry. I, I will res try to resist that. But just it's such an honor and privilege when people really let themselves come to be the best version of themselves and keep exploring that. And the growth is, it, it brings me to tears. I mean, it is that moving to see people grow that way and um, do things they never dreamed that they would do. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm truly honored to do that, to do that work um, and to watch people and just how courageous they are, even when they never believe that about themselves. Well, Chris, I guess my final question for you, um, kind of building on what you just said, what what does it look like to be considered emotionally well, would you say? And aside from, you know, some of the things you just mentioned there uh, about, you know, exercise and meditation, I guess my my question for you would be, so what does it look like to be emotionally well and how does that process look trying to achieve it? Well, I will tell you, I'm a work in progress. So I don't, I don't know that I can tell you that I am fully emotionally well, although I'm far more emotionally well now than I was a year and a half ago and continue to work on that every day. But I think some of that is really being in touch with how you are feeling. What are the feelings? Can I name what feelings I'm having every day? It is very disrespectful to name other people's feelings. 
You don't know what they're feeling unless they tell you, just like you don't know what they're thinking unless they tell you. So be careful when you go, oh, you're sad to someone that maybe they're not and you're getting that wrong. But asking how people are feeling, asking for clarification if they're not really clear with the words on that, and then listening um, is a really big sign that you're moving to emotional wellness. You can tolerate hearing other people's feelings is a big part of how emotionally well are you. And you don't want to run screaming from the room when somebody starts to say to you, I'm feeling my heart is just broken in a million pieces because you haven't healed from your broken heart that you can't tolerate healing from theirs. So, you know, some of your ability to tolerate other people's pain relates to how well you've figured out and processed your own pain and how you cope with those, you know, when, and, and you're still going to feel pain. It's not like you don't pain suddenly goes away when you're emotionally well, you're just much more aware of it and have strategies to help you move through that. Um, and so I think, you know, self-recognition, a check-in, as they say, a checkup from the neck up every day, how am I feeling? The other things I would say that are really helpful with emotional wellness that everybody can do is um, an attitude of gratitude. So when you go to bed at night, what were you grateful for? What are you grateful for? And I have people do this in the jails. And, you know, lots of people aren't excited about being in jail. And I'm like, well, you can find something to be grateful for. Maybe you got a cookie on your tray today that you hadn't, you know, and you haven't had a cookie in weeks. That's something to be grateful for. Um Maybe you got a letter from somebody who hadn't been in your life in a long time and they're seeing how you're changing and they reached out to you and that's something to be grateful for. Or your child, you know, got an A in a test and they're doing well in school and you didn't. You can look for things to be grateful for and also intention. So how are you going to meet the day? Do you look at the world as everything is horrible, the world sucks, nothing ever good is going to happen to me? Because you've just opened up the door and invited that in. You're going you're gonna to get from the world how you see that world for sure. Or when you start your day in the morning, you know, is my intention going to be, I'm going to smile and greet people and um, open my heart to everyone, embrace that there is good in the world and I'm going to be part of that when I start my day. Even if other people are difficult, um, you will get back what you put out and just that checkup in the morning? How am I going to, what is my day going to look like? What is my intention for interacting with people? And then going to bed, what am I grateful for? That's fantastic. I think that's really great too, seeing how, you know, through people kind of cultivating their own emotional wellness, which I like that you pointed out is a process, right? There's not like you reach the goalpost and you're like, Oh, great. I'm emotionally well. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's it's an ongoing process that features ups and downs, just like every other part of life. Right. And I, I do like, though, that by cultivating and working on your own emotional wellness, then are you able to foster it in others and then foster it in the community? And you can see that those small ripples keep getting larger and larger. And it all kind of starts with, again, you prioritizing your own emotional well-being. And it shows just how large I think of an impact that can have. Oh, yeah. And just that that empathy. And 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 again, I'll go back to the other part of it. 
getting emotionally well, there are people who, who I mean, I gave you the numbers, they're 30% of the population who didn't experience any adverse childhood experience and who would be, you know, quote unquote, stable and be emotionally well. But you can lose that through your life too. I mean, the horrible things we all know can befall people at any time. And then you get knocked sort of off your, your stable place and you could be emotionally unwell for a while. And I think, you know, COVID has done that to people where they've lost loved ones or they've ended up being sick and they're just the balance in their life has gotten off kilter, even if things had been great before and trying to being depressed or anxious or all those feelings that are happening because you know, it was new. We hadn't lived through a pandemic, people being afraid, people being depressed because they couldn't see their loved ones or their families or go to work. I think lots of people have experienced that who may have been, you know, fine emotionally, you know, previous to that. We're in a place in the world where I think there's a lot more emotional unwellness than we've seen in a long time. Um, so being aware of that and how can you help? Are you, you know, are you going to support groups online if you can't go in person? Are you talking to friends if your friends are all really struggling? Is there something you all could do together? Can What's our attitude of gratitude today? How are we seeing the world? What are we celebrating? Um, sharing with that, even if you can't be with them in person. So um just really tuning in and being aware. And in some of that people don't because it's so overwhelming and there's so much pain that they just think they can't. Um, I'm here to tell you, you can. You're stronger than you know. Um, you don't have to jump off the high dive. It can be baby steps up the ladder going up the high dive for a period of time. Um, but, you know, you're definitely worth the investment. Um, I meant it when I said everybody matters, you do. And, um, you know, I hope that you listening to this will find the courage to take one tiny step to help yourself move in that direction. And if there's anything, you know, we could do at the coalition to help support that, um, we definitely do offer services to help people as well. So I'd, I'd be interested in that or a presentation at your office about any of this sort of thing. If you're listening from that and you want to hear more ways to support some of your office people who maybe hear a lot of trauma and maybe taking in some of that for themselves. Well, Krista, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time out of your day. I know you're super busy uh, being the executive director. I'm sure it doesn't leave a whole lot of time for, for free time. So I appreciate you taking that time to come talk to me a little bit um, about emotional wellness. Um, I was really excited to kind of dive in and really get to that, you know, seeing how important it is to develop resilience and how important it is to handle your emotional wellness and how that kind of prepares you for, again, every other facet of your life and really impacts, you know, on the micro level up to the macro level, even, you know, in our larger communities. Um, so just seeing how important that is, I guess, really feels like a, a call to action. And like you said, you know, we all have that responsibility and that ability to lift each other up. Um, so that's reassuring, right? In a time that it can feel hard to, to feel that way and there can be that negativity. That's a lot of uh, positivity and a, and a lot of good feeling there. So I want to thank you for that. And again, I want to thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much. And I would encourage anyone check out our We See You page. We would love to have you join us individually, be part of this movement to bring that sense of connectedness and belonging to others and, and the joy that it'll bring you. Um, when you see a smile on somebody's face who maybe nobody has spoken to in a day or two. Um, 
it's it's easy to do and we'd be pleased to have you to have you join us and so it's uh we see you um backslash no we see you dot warrencoalition.org um please join us yeah, and absolutely. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard today and enjoyed what you've see, seen here today, make sure you check out our Facebook, our Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, we constantly update that. We're always updating it with new information, new resources. And check out our website, nwprevention.org. There's lots of great resources there, helpful articles um, for you and, and your loved ones. Um, again, Krista, thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed having you here. Um, it was just an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. I enjoyed being here. No, I hope um, I hope it makes somebody's day and they're just brave enough to move just one step forward to making their life more emotionally well. I feel like, Chrissy, you always have such like a warm, welcoming way about you. You know, I, I don't know. You just can't help but leave feeling better. So that's a good feeling. And I hope our viewers feel the same way. Um, and I hope you guys decide to tune in more for po more positive vibes from the Valley. I'm your host, Ryan. Thanks, guys. Mm -hmm.